It's a race against the clock. The early bird sale for the Mumbrella Automotive Marketing Summit ends this Friday, August 12. Be there as senior leaders from MyCar, TBWA, Sony Group, Curious and many more explore every aspect of automotive marketing and successful case studies that will level up your marketing. You cannot get a cheaper ticket than now. Book your early bird tickets now at mumbrella.com.au forward slash automotive. Hello and welcome back to the Mumbrella Cast. I'm Callum Jasmine and today with News Corp's financials, we'll take a look at how Foxtel is increasingly becoming streaming focused. And also, we'll take a look at Paramount Plus's progress as it celebrates its first birthday and then all the other streaming platforms fit in. Then, new social media players take focus as TikTok's ad revenue storms past Snap and Twitter. With fledgling ethical platform, we are launching with an array of Aussie brand partners as well. Finally, Team Hatch joined the podcast after winning Media Agency of the Year at last week's Mumbrella Awards. Joining me today to discuss all of this is Acting Deputy Editor Emma Shepard. Hey, Em. Hey, hey. Good to see you. And journalist Kalila Welch. How are you, Kalila? I'm not too bad. I'm not enjoying the cooler weather in Sydney, though. Yeah, well, uh, we're, while we were together last week, we're all in different places right now, it's, but it's good to see you both nonetheless. On to our first news topic today. Let's start um, with Foxtel, seeing as this came out yesterday. Um, What was once a set-top box that I'm sure most people listening to this podcast had in their house, um, the company is now sitting at around 61 to 62% um, of its 4.4 million paid subscribers coming via streaming, those being its uh, services KO binge um, flash to an extent and Foxtel now. Khalil, this certainly sort of marks a big change and this number or or that percentage is growing in terms of streaming. Um, How is this sort of playing out for Foxtel and what, 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 what were we seeing from those numbers yesterday? Yeah, so with last reports putting Foxtel now down to just a few hundred thousand subscribers. Binge and KO, as you mentioned, are really carrying the team when it comes to Foxtel's streaming services. It's not a huge surprise, um, I think, given the saturation of the streaming market and the increasing household cost pressures of keeping up with the latest content um, across the main players in the streaming world, um, with the actual Foxtel service setting you back $82 a month and Foxtel Now, which I guess is the online version of the normal Foxtel, you know, set-top box, um, starting at $25 um, up to nearly $50 a month if you want to include all the channels and all of the movies. Um, By comparison, uh, Binge is down around the $10 mark for an average subscription, Um, and it also has a few kind of big series on it, I guess, that would be a pull for many viewers, including Euphoria, Westworld, Game of Thrones, and Real Housewives. Um, In terms of KO Sport as well, it's the largest um, service dedicated to sports, and it continues to benefit from the huge growth of the sports SVOD market, which increased 54% in revenue in the year to June 2021, um, which was compared to non-sports streaming services, which grew um, much less significantly at 20%. Yeah, it's interesting with some of those numbers. Um, Foxtel now, while it does kind of get lumped in with those streaming figures that are 
increasing. I think overall year on year that service was down 12% while Binge um, was up 53% and KO up 22%. Um, and KO, as you mentioned, the biggest of the, the sports streaming services that's uh, at a pretty hefty price point. So um, the 1.293, I believe, paid subscribers per month probably nets them about 32 to 20, 35 million in revenue per month. It, it'll be interesting to see what kind of happens with um, Foxtel moving forward. As you mentioned there, some of their kind of flagship shows where people are really kind of subscribing to their part of um, that deal with HBO, which is, um, I believe, set to end in twenty. 24 with the launch of XBO Max and Discovery locally. Um, just exactly what the Australian market needs, another streaming platform, just as much as we need another um, media and marketing trade title uh, locally. So, <laughs> yeah, so <laughs> we'll be interesting to see how that goes there. The AFR said that um, Foxtel was on a roll um, with Patrick Delaney um, saying that the, the company is now... Um, seeing growth in its subscribers and ahead of the plan on revenue growth. Um, Kalila, do we have any sort of rough estimates how those numbers stack up in comparison to those those many other streaming services that we have locally here? Yeah, we do. So I'm going to pull together some numbers from a couple of different things. Um, the most recent numbers, we have a, a market share, whereas last year we did have subscriber numbers available. So the comprehensive figures from June last year from Telsite Tell put Netflix at the top on 6 million subscribers, which was followed by Amazon Prime Video on 2.9 million, Disney Plus on 2.6 million, Stan with 2.4 and KO with 1.1, and they just lumped in all the other services, which included Binge, Apple TV, AU, and Paramount Plus, um, to make up a collective 4.1 million. We have had further figures come out more recently, I, I believe last month, which were published by Just Watch, um, which which also had Netflix at the top. It, so it's still, um, I believe, locally, they've done a lot better than they have globally. So Globally, obviously, they're pretty worried. They've introduced a few new features, as we know recently, to try and do better in terms of monetizing their audience, um, which includes the um, lower cost um, advertising supported tier, as well as the additional um, fee for extra households on your service. And they're followed um, quite closely now by Amazon Prime Video, which is, I think, it has a 21% share compared to. I think it's about a 28% share for Netflix, but that 21% is up from about 17% in January. So that's a fairly steep growth for them and, and it continues to just be going in the same trajectory. Next up, we had Disney Plus um, comfortably in third place with 17%, followed by Stan with 10% and then Binge, um, as we are discussing before, is on 9%. But as we said, it's it's continuing to grow quite steeply as well. Um and we have Foxtel now on 6%, which is on par to Newcomer Paramount Plus, which, as we will get to, is is just celebrating its first birthday. So I'm sure they will probably see a bit more growth in the coming months as well. And on to Paramount Plus there. It's its first birthday this week. And as Kalila mentioned there, its numbers are probably um, the lowest of the big players there. We, they, they don't regularly... Um, 
or I don't think they have to date released any certain figures, but I think we got estimates um, this week being around the 400,000 mark or so. Uh, you spoke with the um, ANZ Executive Vice President and Chief Content Officer, Beverly McGarvey. Um, how is the company sort of feeling about the progress of that business so far one year in? I had a really good chat with uh, Bev earlier on in the week uh, and, you know, she did, as many other kind of SVOD streaming platforms say, it's all about their content. So the key driver for the platform is premium content um, and she did say it's really important to have that mix of local, international, sport, kids content and reality content. So that just means that, you know, it's a, it's a, reaches a mass, mass market. Ha- um, everyone's happy. It's full-service streaming platform. Um, and being able to provide a bit of everything for everyone is definitely at the forefront of the strategy moving forward for them. But um, on that, I also spoke to her just regarding some tech issues behind the Paramount Plus site, which I thought could possibly have an impact on, you know, maybe losing subscribers. I'm not sure if that's a fact, but I just had a lot of, you know, people coming to me word of mouth that do love the football. Um yeah, they do have the football rights, A League, W League, uh, and A League. Um, and Bev explained that um, you know it was really only around the live sport that they did have some issues when they did originally launch. Uh, you know, a year ago, it was it was only really launching a service that intended to have entertainment contact content only. Um, but as soon as acquiring the football rights, um, they had to put the put, you know the football up quite quickly. Um, and therefore had to have a completely different infrastructure. So the company has ironed out a few UI, UX concerns. So I think that's also going to help, um, you know, grow this, the subs for them as well. Yeah. Uh, where do they sort of see that growth coming from in the next year and kind of taking back some of that market share as Khalil kind of touched on earlier? Well, McGarvey did hint at an ad-supported SVOD tier, uh, and a potential, you know, increase in subscription price, uh, but believes now she said that the price point remains pretty competitive. Uh, so I don't see really any of these changes happening until maybe mid to late next year. Yeah, it's an interesting segue there because, um, you, you know, you mentioned that ad-supported tier there. BVOD um, is still going by reports um, this week in the AFR, the fastest growing or the largest growing sector in Australian media, um, if we're to go by a report on Think TV. Um, is that is that correct? And, you know, um, I think as the article mentions, it would be pretty positive reading for someone like a Netflix or Disney who are hoping to launch that um, pretty imminently. Absolutely. Um, you know, Australia's BVOD platforms, you know, 7 Plus, 9 Now, 10 Play, Foxtel Go, Foxtel Now, KO, they delivered a revenue growth of 53.3% and that was up to $426 million for the 12 months to June 30. And that was the data that we we were provided by industry body Think TV, as you mentioned. Uh, the second half of the fiscal year delivered $208 million of the total. Um, and I think with these you know, with the networks, they're just really trying to hone in on, um, you know, different demos um, and and reaching them in a different way from between Linear and BVOD. But also I think for someone like 10, they're really kind of playing around with some new formats like, for example, Hunted, which aired recently, which has been doing incredibly well both on BVOD and Linear. So I think just pushing, again, um, the 
you know, the fact that content and premium content is key, um, even in the BVOD space. Yeah, I think um, a lot to a lot to kind of be mindful there on. I think um, some of those, like we mentioned before, the the deal with HBO Max and um, MU reported earlier this week on Stan's deal with Sony will be very important in in kind of holding on to subscribers and growing those bases in the coming years um, with something you know like a better console running in its final season just now. Anyway, coming up next, uh, TikTok posts booster ad revenue and We Are 8 signs up iconic Aussie brands. Recently launched ethical and sustainable social media platform, We Are 8 has partnered with some of Australia's most well-known brands for the launch of the app where users can be paid to watch advertisements. Uh, those commercial partners include Suncorp, SBS, Dove, Rexona, Virgin Australia, Coles and Telstra, among others. Um, Khalil, while this has sort of been um, spruiked as this sustainable um, platform and part of the confusion comes over what, what what will you actually find when you when you go on this app you you being the the, the most hip and uh, the young of the three of us and uh, you've actually been our guinea pig for this you've downloaded the app can you tell us what we will see when we log on to it I can um so bearing in mind obviously um very early stages for we are eight so as can be expected, they're still, um, I'm sure, ironing out, you know, the kind of final details around the UX design and also, you know, they're still recruiting um, advertisers to the platform. But the essential kind of, I guess, way it functions is um, users that sign up can opt in to receive um, an SMS or an email at any point during the day. So you can choose um, which time of the day might suit you best. So say it could be in the evening after work. Um, and they'll send out, um, I, I think the idea is eventually it would be daily, but at the moment it kind of just really depends on how many ads are available, but they, they basically send you out five minutes worth of ads a day to watch. Um, and the idea is that you tune in and you watch through to the end of every ad, probably 20 to 30 second ads, and you earn money based on the ads that you watch. So the idea is that users are paid 60% of the revenue um, for every advertising dollar so, and 5% also goes to a charity. So um, essentially I think you earn around, I, I was reading this and it was in um, pounds, so not very helpful, but they said um, about 10 to 20 pence um, for mm-hmm. an ad. So I guess that's like, you know, 20, up to, you know, 25 to 50 cents or whatever it would be um, to watch an ad, which I guess can, could rack up pretty quickly. And then the advertiser can also select a charity of their choice for that 5% to go towards. Um, and the idea behind it is obviously that ethical idea of removing the advertising dollars from the main tech players and putting them back into the hands of the consumer and also back into the community as well. Um, it's supposed to make sure that, you know, consumers um, or viewers are more engaged with advertising material. They're much more likely to finish the ad if they're going to get paid for it. And then they're also much more likely to be engaged and to click through. It also means that the actual platform itself, when you log in and you go onto your feed and the feed works really similarly to um, Instagram, I would say, um, there is a lack of users at the moment. So the content, um, there's, there's not a heap, <laughs> to be honest. Um, and it is kind of difficult also to track down new accounts to follow. There isn't really that I can find anyway a search function to find new people to follow. 
Um, but otherwise it works like Instagram and you don't have any ads in the feed. So that's the ben- that's the real kind of takeaway for users. Um, but yeah, as I said, it's had a few teething issues. Um, one of the main ones I think being that people are confused about there not being enough advertisers for them to receive um, these kind of daily messages to watch the ads and also people having issues in checking out the money that they've received in um, in turn for watching the ads. So one review on Trustpilot, which gave the, the app one star, um, said that in their honest opinion was it was a great idea in principle to earn um, money watching ads. However, the ethics, uh, you know, are all about saving the planet when you're, uh, when you're watching a Heineken advert you know, you've got in the back of your mind that that's actually contributing to global waste, alcoholism and water shortages. They said the app is just marketing nonsense and the ads are few and far in between um, to earn five pence a go. And then they're also reading stories that people can't access the money. So, I mean, there's a few people that have that perspective. Other people love it, but I'm really hoping that they'll figure out those issues kind of along the way um, and we'll really see um, what is kind of a utopian idea, I guess, of advertising. Yeah, certainly an interesting approach uh, to advertising. And to be clear, that was a that was a, a, a commenter, not our criticism of yeah, Heineken. Not, not uh, our criticism. <laughs> <laughs> um, speaking of um, ad revenue and a different approach, um, last month TikTok Australia posted a, a pretty massive um, jump in its uh, ad revenue of two hundred twenty percent. Um, with global revenue to jump to around $12 billion expected by the end of this year, more than Twitter and Snapchat combined. Um, with 7 million users currently in Australia, kind of how, how is this playing out, Khalil? And are we expected to see this revenue continue to grow? I mean, I think that TikTok, um, it seems to really have nailed the algorithm aspect of social media. So users are extremely happy, which when we look to some of the other kind of main players in the space isn't necessarily the case. Um, it's it's hard to determine exactly who is advertising, but like just anecdotally speaking, it does typically seem to be more of your um, FMCG brands. So you have a lot of, you see a lot of um, spots for, you know, soft drinks and snack brands and things like that. They do really well, um, as well as, you know, the the obvious kind of categories like beauty and fashion too. They seem to do really well. Um, well, at least I seem to see those those ads a lot. And, and, and we're sort of seeing the, um, I think it's been termed the TikTokification of other social media apps, um, maybe in particular Instagram, which caught a bit of flack from uh, global superstar Kylie Jenner recently Kalila, how's that playing out in terms of um, TikTok's growing success? Yeah, so poor Instagram has had a bit of a pile-on from um, some big creators, like as you said, um, the Kardashian Jenners and um, some other kind of celebrities as well who aren't really happy with the way that the platform is. I, I guess it's kind of mimicking TikTok and that's something it did a few years ago with Snapchat when it introduced stories which went um, obviously very successfully for the platform. But I think people are really kind of missing the actual static image aspect of Instagram um, with the the platform being accused of kind of preferring video content. So when you go on your feed, you're a lot more likely to see and be able to engage with video content than um, image, static image content. And that's something that they've actually dug their heels in 
um, with CEO Adam Mosseri taking to Instagram, um, his own Instagram feed recently to say, um, to explain the new updates, I guess, and say that they weren't really planning on going back to how Instagram used to be and that video content is the now. So they definitely are seeing the success of TikTok and are trying to replicate that. But um, I think people want the apps to be separate and I think there is like a, a really strong sentiment as, I mean, you can see all across social media that people don't want to have four apps that do the same thing. Um, they want to be able to have an app for every different thing. And I think with the algorithm on TikTok so strong, it's really difficult for Instagram to compete um, effectively in that space, I guess. Um, an honourable mention also would go to um, new player Be Real, um, who were covered recently in the AFR and I am a daily user of, and I know you're a user of as well, Carl. I was going to say, interestingly, the um, today's Be Real has just come up while we've been recording this podcast. Em, are you on on oh. Be Real? No, I think I'm I'm a bit too old for that. <laughs> Please enlighten me. <laughs> well, so Khalil, I'll get you to explain the concept quickly, but it, it, this is a move away from the video content. It's solely <laughs> static. Um, if you want to just give us a quick rundown mm-hmm. of what Be Real is. Um, why close to 2 million Australians have already taken up on it and um, I guess where the revenue will come from for, for that app. Yeah, so this um, this new app is all the rage for Gen Z. It is um, really huge. I think in the last month, I maybe joined it a month ago and in that time I'd say like I've seen the amount of people I know on the app probably triple or quadruple. So it's definitely very quickly growing. Um, but the basic concept is that you take a photo, um, every day I should go back to the start every day. It sends out a push notification to everyone who has the app and it says it's be real time. And it might be, uh, it could be like 9am in the morning or it might be, um, as it often is lately, like 11 PM at night. Um, and the idea is that you have two minutes to capture a picture of what you're doing. And that picture will be, um, you can, like a photo of your face and then so it takes a photo from both cameras so a photo of the fa- front facing camera and a photo of the back facing camera and the whole concept behind it is it's being real being you know authentic showing what you're actually doing rather than this kind of polished um, no curation. shiny you know I feel like that could be a bit dangerous be real it's kind of like the new the new age snapchat where you know midnight you're in a bar and you have to take a picture and sprung. <laughs> yeah, but you can also take it like it, you can take it after that two minutes. It's just that it shows like on your post that it was late. So it will show, you know, you and were you three hours And you come across as being authentic at that point. Everyone knows that you yeah. waited. It's definitely not being real. You can also <laughs> check in and see how many times somebody's retaken the photo. So that's another way to, to spring them, yeah. I guess. Um, but yeah, circling back, I guess, to the, the advertising question, it's really interesting because at the moment the platform isn't ad-supported at all and they actually specifically um, dictate in their terms and conditions that you shouldn't be using the platform to promote a product. It's explicitly banned, um, mm-hmm. which I guess would kind of make it difficult to introduce at the moment anyway any sort of ad revenue stream. Um, and they don't they don't haven't really laid out any plans to do that either if you you know, look at them, look at their website online. It just links directly to the app and there's no kind of other information about, you know, how you should be using the platform or how you might use it as a brand or as an advertiser. So um, it'll be really interesting to see what happens because I'm not quite sure. It's not very clear how they're making money or how they might 
plan to make money, but obviously they have this huge audience that is kind of sitting there ready to be leveraged. Yeah, I think uh, one interesting comment, which was, again, in that AFR article that you mentioned, was from um, a lecturer at the University of Wollongong, Chris Moore, who suggested that um, with those backwards and front-facing photographs every day, um, he sort of uh, believes that they might take the, as noted, the well-trodden path of exchanging free access for data Um and eventually, you know, selling off what is very, very valuable AI um, data as sold as intellectual property. Um, anyway, let's move on. Um, up next, we have Hatched coming on to chat about winning Mumbrella's Media Agency of the Year. <laughs> So after the Mumbrella Awards uh, were a big showing out from the industry last Thursday night in Sydney, um, Hatched Media took home its first media agency of the year at the Mumbrella Awards. And to uh, to mark the win, today we have a couple of the Hatch team behind that win. We have Virginia Scully People and Culture Director, Adrian Rowling, Managing Partner, and Andrew Pascoe, Head of Planning at Hatched. Welcome to the podcast, each of you, and congratulations on the win. Thank Thanks, you, Kelly. It's great, great to, to be, be here. here. Very exciting time for us. Yeah, very exciting time and uh, great to see you all virtually, but I saw you last week. Um, Adrian, might start with uh, with you. So uh, I guess winning an award like this, it's just one part of a marker of success for an agency. Um, at the start of last year, or maybe we could put this back to the start of covid was something like winning an award like this sort of on the horizon for Hatch or something you were even sort of considering? No, not really, Callum, to be to be honest. I mean, the challenge was really about looking after our people and, and trying to service our clients during, you know, such a trying time. So, yeah, really it was all about being uh, adaptable to the situation, um, working really hard to, to, keep, to keep the business afloat, to look after our people and to look after our clients. And I actually think in many ways that it provided a catalyst for, for great change within our business that, that actually helped lead up to, um, you know, to ultimately, uh, amongst many things, winning, winning this award. Virginia, what, what do you think in, in your mind sort of makes a winning agency, I guess, also maybe ignoring what the, the, the specific criteria for actually winning an award like this might be? Genuine care factor around your people. So obviously, Callum, I'm going to skew my answer to people um, because that's the area I'm most sure. passionate about. <laughs> uh, but we, our industries, you know, we're, it's quite good at talking the talk and I think it's the authentic authenticity around our care factor and putting our people first um, and looking after them, especially through the you know the challenging times that we we've, we've been faced is is what makes us stand out. I mean, how, how important do you think that talking the talk sort of is? Because I know people and culture has become even more of a kind of central aspect to agencies in the past few years when talent has been short, and you know, in particular, your agency has um, grown quite significantly in staffing over those few years, which you know, is probably against the trend of most agencies. Uh, how important has that been for you? Yeah, I think our reputation around 
genuine care factor is well known in in our market. Um, And I think that's largely down to the relationships that we have um, with our media and our partners. Um, And, and yeah, the the industry recognises us for some of that that work that we do leaning into helping people thrive. So I, I do think it's important that we that we talk, you know, that we educate the industry around some of the good things that we're doing. Um, one of that, well, our vision is to be agents of positive change. Uh, and so getting quite vocal this year around some of the good things um, that really help people thrive has been an important part um, of what we're trying to do. Um, but the, the reality is what, what you actually do versus what you say um, is where you make the gains and where your people feel it and where they do their, then what they lean into, into their amazingness and their great work and their care factor around the client. So, yeah. And, um, and Andrew, the, the most recent of the, the three of you to have joined the agency, you actually joined after, uh, I believe, a few years outside of agency land. Um, was that sort of perception there for you when when you joined and I guess the prospect of joining an agency that's not one of these big global um, networks, what, what was that that kind of drawn you to the agency and how has that experience sort of been for you since then? Yeah, it's a, it's a great question because coming um, <clears throat> from any agency before you get in the door, you can only go based on the individuals you meet there. So the individuals I knew at Hatched had on a personal level, that care factor that, that Virginia already mentioned. Um, but it's when you get inside the door, you realize actually it's agency-wide. So it's between all of the senior leadership uh, team and and at that time, the sort of 35-odd hatchlings we were. Um, you know, you could see that care factor across, across everyone. And you actually get in and realize that's what makes Hatched a special place. Um, it's not that it's just you know, from a behavior set from our our founder, MD, Jack, it's not just him. And it's also not just that senior leadership team. You know, you see that, yes, they're those real human beings who give a shit and both about the work and the clients and the people in the agency. And then that flows on through. It can't help but flow on through. So that... um, genuine care is in all 60 now old hatchlings yeah it's 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 interesting because you know as you would expect uh, with our articles whenever they go up you get people commenting certain things and uh, quite a few of the comments have been around um i guess the prominence of independence and local locally run agencies sort of being at the forefront not only just of our awards um, this year, but you know, it's it's across all significant and major awards um, categories across the market. Adrian, you, you have a pretty storied history in one of those international holding groups, and so does um, so does Stephen, your co uh, managing partner, and Pasco. You also um, got a, a long history there. W- what is it about? I guess the shift to locals and indies that I think, well, sorry, Adrian, that you think are really is really driving that success at the moment? Yeah, look, the one thing that really struck me when I joined Hatch was the was certainly the care factor, but then organisationally, just the ability to control your own destiny. Um, you know, Jack 
owns the business, ultimately makes all the decisions, incredibly inclusive. But I think that the the COVID situation where independent agencies in, in some ways thrive through that situation because they were able to adapt a lot faster uh, in that in that environment and that's through their the control they have around making the decisions around their around their people servicing their clients um, so that's that's the that's the main thing is around the, you know you, you control your own destiny with decision making um, and that's really really empowering for everybody that's involved in the business and and I think our our people and our, our clients have really benefited from that. The other thing that I see in um, independent agencies, particularly Hatched, of course, is the experience. You know, we, we have amazing people in our business. You know, they're, they're the most experienced people that I've ever worked with um, in the industry and I'm really privileged to be able to work with them. And, and again, I think our, our, our staff really benefit from having such experienced people within the business from a mentoring perspective, a guidance perspective, and, and then I think our clients benefit from that as well uh, from a quality of work. I mean, outputs perspective. So they're they're probably the they're probably the main things. I mean, through through that control and that experience, we know how important people are, and we invest in our people. And then you know, of course, you know, we can talk for days about all the things that we do um, in that respect. I think that's definitely become a much more important factor as kind of COVID has sort of restructured the way um, of you know hybrid working and you know your your workplace and how everyone kind of. Uh, fits together. Do you think that will be something that is going to stick around as a, a as a sort of permanent factor for, I guess, this whole industry, Adrian? Yeah, I, I do. I, you know, I, I think people need to be empowered and trusted to be able to work in ways that they they can be their best selves. Basically, um, we've obviously got to strike a you know strike a balance in some respects. Just practically speaking, you know, there's sometimes there's needs to, to be in the office, but there's lots of examples that we could cite around. You know how. Uh, locational proximity really has no bearing and effect on someone's output um, there's so many benefits to flexible working it's something we really we really um, encourage uh, with you know there's people working in our Melbourne office from Adelaide and Sydney uh, for yeah. so you know there there really is no there's no need to be based in um, on Chapel Street in South Yarra as fun as it's going to be our new our new office that's uh that's going to open next week, which we're really, really excited about it. So hopefully people will want to come in, but there's no absolute need um, on a regular basis. And Virginia, you kind of speak about um, the the experience within the agency there, but, you know, interestingly, um, something that Hatch has done, which, you know, is quite quite unique, is you, you implemented that um, shadow board. Um, can you can you speak a little bit about I guess what that is for those that don't know and uh, I guess the thinking behind it and how that has sort of played out for you? Yep, certainly. So we essentially we believe that the future of Hatch needs to be co-designed by our people. Um, we have a culture based on trust and empowerment, and so we've built our own development program which incorporates some behavioural science to identify what people's purpose, what, where their strengths are, where their motivators are and what they're driven by to do their best work. And through that process, we've uncovered some things that we may not have discovered otherwise in people's drivers and passion points. Um, and that led us to two initiatives, one being the shadow board and one being the belongings and connections team, which is really 
giving some power, designed to give some give a lot of power back to individuals within the business to have a say as to how to build and create the type of place they want to work in. So the Shadow Board is a group of seven future leaders within our business across every different department. Um, and they're at different levels in terms of their, you know, their tenure or experience in the industry. And they meet um, to discuss and kind of, you know, tackle some of the challenges around the headwinds that we face as an organisation. They've also got access to our engagement data and they run that, they drive that process and then mine the data and give us that their qual perspective on what they think is happening. So that gives us another voice, another view um, around the grounds. It also gives them a brilliant experience to kind of get closer to the business. And we've had some really powerful debates and discussions that have led to wholesale change. So mm-hmm. um, one of the initiatives that the Shadow, Shadow Board focused on, work-life blends, one of our, is everyone's, you know, headache. Um, that was coming through as a major problem in a late November survey. So we got together with them. They they kind of, we had a bit of a hard chat about some of the realities that they were going facing. Um, and we actually looked at the long tail of clients and resigned some clients. We added five days wellbeing leave. Mm-hmm. Um, and, it, yeah, a range of other initiatives that actually, you know, that the, the staff then see action um, from our surveys and, and a, a group of passionate individuals that are trying to be agents of positive change. So that's what they're designed to do, an advisory board as such to our executive yeah. team. Well, I was going to ask how much, I guess, material influence they have. What what would happen, for example, if um, they brought something to you and, you know, you and the senior management didn't quite agree with it or didn't quite like it? Where, where would that kind of land there? We always promise that if it's fair and reasonable, we'll, you know, and if it's something that we can make happen, whether that be, you know, from a commercial perspective or if it's if it's within the realms of reality, you know, and practicality, then we'll look at it. There's nothing we won't consider. But sometimes it's also a lesson in helping helping them understand some of the challenges that we face. For example, yesterday's discussion was around resourcing we're feeling you know as every business is trying to find the right people for our organization we're quite specific about who we recruit and what that process is Um, but it's a tough market at the moment and so you know we're having these real conversations around as much as we'd like to put that quickly move on that we want to make the right decisions and and sometimes it's not as easy just to kind of get the resource in as as you might think it is because they're not at the coalface of you know the talent shortage so that it's a really great it's a really great way for them to start to see some of the the business you know some of the more you know intricacies around exact decisions and yeah also inform that back through the business yeah. Um, because yeah, we, it, some things we can if if we if it's viable, we'll definitely look at it. And we've kind of we've we've certainly done that. I think that's a big part of our success and our engagement levels. Yeah, they they generally make better decisions than us, so it has. It has <laughs> you'd hope so. They're way smarter than us, basically. Yeah. And um, and Andrew, you've kind of um, 
led this drive for Hatched as sort of being, um, I, I don't know if the word guinea pig would be the right way to describe it, but you, you've you've sort of have been in terms of rolling out Karen Nelson Field's um, attention trading metrics, um, I guess, across your um, your clients so far. What's that been like, I guess, for you to sort of be leading that in market, testing it, and then also finding the right talent to sort of be able to actually accurately deliver that back to um, Karen Nelson Field and her team. Yeah, it's a um, <clears throat> it's a rich topic, uh, Callum, and it's a good it's a good question because um, part of the thing that we've discovered over the last sort of twelve to fifteen months is by putting attention at the center of our planning approach. Um, one of the things that we've discovered is we have to have had actually a bit of a thick skin because. By being a bit more vocal and by trying to, to influence change in that respect, we've actually become a bit of a lightning rod, both for those people in the industry who actually can see the merit and um, want to also help us bring this change about. But the flip side of that is um, we seem to have our inboxes filled up with a lot of people who uh, want to take pot shots at whatever is new, regardless of the merits or lack of um but I, I say that sort of jokingly, um, but I actually see that as a positive for the simple reason that the biggest influence and positive impact we're having from it is you can't have a robust discussion by going into it, assuming you're right and assuming everyone else is wrong. So actually, um, I don't mind if we entertain all sides of the discussion as long as then everyone, including ourselves, have walked away from it. Um, maybe moderating their views, maybe sitting, seeing where attention fits in alongside other things. So, you know, that's a lot of what I've spent my time doing as well is saying, actually, um, you know, we've, we've got attention as some concepts at the center of our planning, but that doesn't mean we're foregoing everything else that's come before and that nothing else has a place. So both internally and also just to clients, especially, um, a lot of the time has been spent explaining where we see attention fit in and yeah. it's a unifying thing for us it's a common thread don't get me wrong but it doesn't mean we're walking away from everything else either but i really enjoy those conversations because again whether it's clients whether it's people that come in as detractors whether it's um trade press whether it's creative agencies as long as we walk away from that you know discussion or that meeting or that what have you that we've all actually got a greater appreciation of where it fits in then for me, that's progress um, yeah. in, in terms of that. And one related part of that is um, with Karen and with Amplified Intelligence, you know, being able to influence or have our sort of outsized say on, on, you know, our point of view on where they're going as well. But in the same way, it's a really important um, uh, tool for us, but we're also looking at a complement of other ways to bring this to life as well. Um, because if we weren't, we'd be doing a disservice for sort of that mission around driving attention as well, right? We'd be doing a disservice of not looking at where all these things fit in together, including other research providers and and uh, other methodologies and so on. Yeah. And uh, Andrew, I know we kind of spoke about this on the podcast last year as well, um, but Adrian, how, how do you think clients have been sort of responding to that? And I know... Um, one of these sort of aspects quite often for uh, for awards are sort of uh, positioned around growth and and winning new clients would you, would you say that 
Well, how first of all, how important would you say that is? And second of all, would you say that potentially retaining your clients is more important and a better marker of success? Oh, 100%. I mean, that, that's, our, that's our number one metric of success, um, that and, and retaining amazing people. And, you know, the first thing comes after you've retained and attracted amazing people. Uh, but yeah, our, our single-minded focus is on our existing clients and and developing product to to service their needs and and deliver effective results. I mean, we're really focused on ensuring that we link back the media investment to incremental business return. That you know, we want to be known as you know the most um, effective agency in market. That's what we're that's what we're striving towards. Um, look, I, I don't think I don't think um, clients really care about. Your existing clients really care about other other new business wins. In fact, sometimes it concerns them. I think what it does benefit clients is the scale aspect. So having having the right amount of scale in your business allows you to invest in certain types of capability. And we're lucky as we're we're an independent agency. That doesn't mean we're small. It just means we're independent. Uh, we have really good scale within our business now, which allows us to do. Things um, you know, build out capability, invest in attention trade, uh, and and other initiatives that will allow us to to grow ahead of the market, um, and that's what's important, I think, for our existing clients that we have enough scale in our business that allows us to do that. Because as you know, um, things are changing all the time in our in our industry, and we need to be ahead of the curve when it comes to investing in in the right yeah. areas. And I know you've got you've got a pretty diverse client base. Is there a specific sort of profile that you like to work with? Maybe is that challenger brands? Is that in certain yeah. categories? Yeah. Look, it, we are we are pretty diverse in terms of our capability. I think what we generally look for, Callum, is the ability to to make an impact and to work with clients at value media. That's uh, that's what kind of energizes us. You know, we don't want to just go through the motions of, of being a media agency that just books some ads out there. You know, we want to work with clients who, who well, we see an opportunity um, to add value through creating great strategy, delivering great work, and, and they see that benefit back to their business. Now, that's invariably often it's challenger brands, right, who need to drive that kind of growth. And so that's where we sort of gravitate towards um, and also to those categories that are doing interesting things, you know, digital pure plays and um, and lots going on in the retail space, so we're tending to drift yeah. into, into retail more and more. So uh, before we before we head off, um, you've got your new office, which you'll be in within the week with a lovely, big, fancy coffee machine. Um, for, for the three of you, I'd be interested just to hear um, what what's next for Hatch and what are going to sort of be one of some of those challenges that help you get there. Yeah. Well, first we've got to find Jack. We, we, we've lost him on Thursday night. We don't know where he is. We don't know where the award is. I think I saw him stumbling down Smith Street this morning. So <laughs> No, you're no, obviously joking. But, um, you know, we're, we're super excited and we just want to say thank you as well for, for choosing Hatch. I mean, we're really proud and, and we also, you know, we're proud to be listed amongst some, some amazing competition, you know, really respect. Well, it wasn't me, just to be clear, so. Well, <laughs> on behalf of my brother, I'll take it. Um, so, so, look, I think for us it's just continuing our journey. You know, the, the award's an amazing recognition. We're really humbled, but it doesn't change uh, our strategy of continuing to focus on people, continuing to build out um, great product that helps our people and our clients thrive and, and continue to be that vision for, um, you know, positive catalyst, catalyst for positive change in, in the industry. Yeah, yeah. I think, yeah, I'd agree with all of that. 
it's uh, we had a chat about this the other day. We've we need to maintain the momentum, right? We need to not kind of it's it's not like we've hit the pinnacle and and that's it. We're done. Yeah. Kind of got the challenge for us is now holding on to that you know top spot. We, we really like from a cultural perspective maintaining that energy. Um, the, the new office is going to help, but yeah, new and you know more relevant initiatives to kind of what humans need as things kind of flip flop, um, and and maybe just a little bit more. You know, there's there's some elements that we've been reactive to, as has the rest of the world. What are the things that we want to like? You know, the longer term plays, and and how are we gonna how are we gonna bring our you know our humans into that process as well? So. That's that's it for me. Brilliant. And Andrew? Uh, well, yeah, I'm probably just going to say what uh, Adrian and Scully said just in a slightly different way. But really, it's if you've got people who um, are comfortable where they're working and can show up every day and bring their full selves to where they're working and have that work-life blend, essentially what you do is get um, the freedom to be able to challenge them and grow in terms of what they do and what they bring and the work output they bring and that intersects with what the clients need and all of our other partners like creative agencies uh, and then it just keeps that virtuous cycle going so essentially m- more of the same the other thing i'm going to do is preach this <laughs> preach this message to the talent market <laughs> just to send the messages out to all of the industry <laughs> Yeah, the Mumbrella Jobs Board. Correct. That's what I'm going to do. Well, you're not the first to do it on this podcast. So, um, <laughs> well, um, congratulations again and uh, look forward to seeing you there uh, at the Mumbrella Awards next year. Thank, Thank you, Callum. Thanks, thanks, thanks for having us on. Really appreciate Pleasure. it is it for another week on the Mumbrella cast please make sure you subscribe on your favorite podcast platform and check out mumbrella.com.au for everything else you need in the media and marketing sphere emma kalila thank you very much for joining me thank you thanks very much and thanks to adrian andrew and virginia from hatched as well see you next week